THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 521 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt and I apologize. Yeah, you should. <laughs> and I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing eight of Wednesday, March 6th, new comics with spotlight reviews on Astro Hustle number one and... Six million dollar man number one. Then it's down to the THN Thanctum Sanctorum where we're beating on the weather wizard and talking about our must read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, the comic pushers return to force some highly addictive reads on one poor junkie. But before we start fighting with fake nerd boys and fake nerd girls everywhere, we better talk about this week's nerd news. It was a thing. People were being accused of being called uh, fake nerd boys and fake nerd That's girls great. for their uh, opinions. Oh, okay. Good. Like, I really like Squirrel Girl. That's because you're a fake nerd girl. You know? oh. It was that shit. Nerd news. Fake nerd news. <laughs> <laughs> title of the episode. Writer artist Terry Moore is bringing his major creator-owned titles together for a new crossover limited series titled Five Years. Scheduled to launch May 29th, the series brings together Strangers in Paradise, Rachel Rising, Motor Girl, and Echo in one epic saga years in the making. That's according to Moore. Okay. Here's the solicitation for the first issue. Five years weaves the many strands of the Terryverse into one epic saga years in the making. Just like you said. Yeah. A dangerous paper written by Lilith has been leaked to the nations of the world containing a formula for the ultimate weapon. And now labs around the globe are attempting to build and test the Phi Bomb. Tambi. I was going to say the Phi Bomb doesn't sound scary. Phi Bomb, yeah, I know. Yeah. Tambi, in an all-out effort to find the labs and stop them, has enlisted the help of Ivy Raven, Julie Martin, Rachel, and Zoe. Meanwhile, Kachu and Francine, who have no business being involved in no, this plot, no. <laughs> have moved their household, including the kid's new bodyguard, Samantha Locklear, to the beach where Kachu devises her own solution to the problem. Uh, it is three ninety nine. Hits shops May twenty ninth. They all of his books have been loosely connected yeah. in the sense that like Bambi or Tambi from Strangers in Paradise shows up in right. Rachel Rising, right? Or Echo. We know there's a loose connection, and that's fun. But to have like a full on sci fi, yeah. Rachel Rising is a supernatural horror. Book. Right. This is where I'm going with this. I'm going the same place you are. I think it's weird when you concrete these things together. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know if it's cute and fun anymore. It's like, you know what? It's fun to imagine that uh, The Good Place and Parks and Recreation take place in the same universe. Right. I don't want them to ever confirm it, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we don't need that. Um, uh, I'm not saying this is going to be bad. Uh, I, like, I, don't, I have confidence that it will be good. I like it's Terry Moore. very and peculiar. Yeah. yeah it weird, seems right? like an odd choice on Terry Moore's part. And I, I don't know. I hope he's doing it. I don't know. I, I hope, hope it works sells. Out. I hope it I hope does it works great. out for him. I hope he makes millions of dollars. Yes, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely <laughs> going to read it. That's that's a, yeah. We'll check it out. Give definitely, it. Joe. You'll be happy to know that 100 page giants are coming back to comic book stores. Oh, finally, DC co-publisher Dan DiNeo has announced that his line of 100 page giant 
Giantanthologies. I don't think that's supposed to be one word. Oh, it's not? Okay, I thought maybe it was like something catchy. <laughs> Giant anthologies would no longer be Walmart exclusives where they were born. We know before there was Walmart, there were no 100 Yeah, never. Yeah. No. And will be available in comic book stores eventually. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm not reading this. Uh, does this mean that the 100-page giant Walmart experiment has failed? Well, if you had read that, you would know that it has not. <laughs> well, this is according to Dan DiDio. He's saying that, like, oh, he yeah. He is the publisher of DC Comics. Sure, it just seems like an odd choice. Do you think, are they reacting to fans going, this is stupid? Or why are you punishing all right, comic all right, shops? All right, listen, I'm going to read this quote because you're a big baby. DiDio said that the line was successful and continuing. There was some speculation. There was the Comics Pro... Uh, annual retailer meeting uh, this past week right? Uh, where a lot of stuff was discussed. Uh, DiDio said that the line would no longer be Walmart exclusive, and in fact, it would be expanding. That's not what happens when the line is a failure. No. They would just stop doing it. No, okay, and what I'm saying is at Walmart specifically. It, um, I, I don't think, think it was a huge hit there. There's uh, no way. I think that from many people that I have heard talk about it, uh, they're impossible to find, so... You're wrong. Well, I don't think Walmart ordered that many of them. How do you know, Matt? Because they're not on the sales charts, period. Because they're not tracked through Diamond. They're exclusive to Walmart. Man, that's just stupid. I don't know. I, these, if you want to do it at Walmart and at comic book shops, I'm fine with that. I'm all for more comics everywhere. I used to buy comics at the drugstore when I was a kid, you know? Sure, and it's not that they're not going to be at Walmart. It's that they're just no longer going to be exclusive, which, which means they're going to be available to the direct market, right. and they're going to expand the line. That's not the sign of failure. That's the sign of success. And I think it's a good thing. And, and they said that it's going to expand the amount of original content, whereas it was like a 10-page uh, chapter uh, for a serialized story sure. and then 90 pages of reprints. Right. They're going to expand the amount of original content. And Tom King went on to say in a quote that when they initially did this, Walmart said, look, if you're going to do it, it has to be exclusively at Walmart, which is a very Walmart, Walmart-y thing to do. Sure. And I get that. Tom went on to say his goal in doing the Superman Walmart book is to put out new customers into comic shops. You like this Superman? Go check out this Batman, King wrote. Why exclusive then? That was the price we had to pay to get this opportunity. I don't like it, but I think it's worth it. There's something to be said for that, because you and I aren't scrambling for 10 pages of new content and no. 90 pages of reprints. And this isn't a bad way to hook kids. You're at right. Walmart with your parents, and you know they're buying, I don't know, camouflage blankets and... Uh, you know, uh, bullets Friday for their AR-15s, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> rifle sort of rounds. Yeah. And the kid's like, Dad, I want this Batman comic book. Sure, why not? Throw it at him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's good that they're expanding it to the direct market as well. Uh, the They always said that the original content was going to be collected in trade paperback form and, v, and be available in comic book stores. Right. So it's not like the stuff was never going to come to comic book shops. No, I mean, obviously. But I think any initiative that is aimed at getting comics into the mass market, into the hands of people that might not normally find a comic shop, especially yes. in those areas where Walmart's all they have. Right. And this does not punish comic retailers. Give no. me a break. No, no, definitely not. Come on. It's reprint stuff that you guys aren't going to order anyway because you're going to bitch it. It's too expensive. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a positive sign, and hopefully they keep it up. Uh, in other DC news, DC plans to reduce the number of collected editions it releases due to a perceived glut in the marketplace. A perceived glut? <laughs> 
I mean, of trades. I don't know. I feel like somebody, that's a lot. This, I don't know, man. <laughs> this is, again, according to co-publisher Dan DiDio, this comes, as I said, following a presentation at this past weekend's Closed Door Comics Pro annual meeting. Here's the quote. We feel there are too many collections in the market and the shelves are overcrowded with nothing standing out. Couldn't agree more. Uh, this was published in a private retailer group, and then several retailers shared it with Newsarama because <laughs> they can't keep their mouths shut. Because the internet. Uh, we are rethinking ways to build collections, including adding material in the print versions that will not be available in the digital. Ooh, that's something that retailers should be happy How about. How long have we been bitching about this, though? I mean, honestly, it, ever since we began working in comic book stores, where people said, well, I want to read, I want a Batman trade paperback, whatever. And we're like, okay, here's a bunch of weirdly printed Batman but, stories okay, that aren't in any order. That's a problem with formatting, not the number of volumes available. I, I want there is. to be more volumes available. I want, I want more volumes I want to be able to find well, anything I want. But I want it to make sense. Yes, but again, that's a, that's a problem with formatting, yes. not quantity. Don't put out a 64-page trade paperback of this story that was in the middle of a writer's run. No. Thicken it up. Yeah. Make us pay I a little I also more. don't need a hardcover of The Killing Joke, no. which was like a 48-page one-shot. Like, don't pull that shit Right. On me. We don't need that. I mean, it's silly. Didio did address uh, the recent decrease. I don't know if a lot of people even noticed this. DC actually trimmed their line by 10 to 15%. We're talking about monthly comics here. Yeah. Uh, Didio went on to say that the recent decrease in the number of DC titles per month is part of a broader strategy to trim the line but it's not because of, you know, lack of success or interest. It's because they want to redirect those resources to new books and other imprints, like sure. the young adult stuff, uh, the DC Zoom and the DC Inc. But they will only be cutting stuff that didn't sell. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but sure. But that's definitely better than, like, rigidly sticking to 52 titles a month yeah, or whatever no, bullshit they had going yeah. for those years. Because 52 is a magic DC number Yeah, right? exactly. everyone exactly. cares about. Uh, so yeah, they're refocusing uh, their their energies away from things that didn't work and putting in into new initiatives that they hope will get new readers. It's and a good again, idea. I think this is great. It's a good idea. Uh, so yeah, DC's new new age of heroes. Sorry, suck it, damage yeah. and whatever. Whoever the else was even in that line. What was, what was the other? There was like the silencer, smoke, or what was the flaming one? Was that damage? Brimstone. Brimstone. Yeah, yeah. the curse of brimstone. See ya. <laughs> some of those books. Some of those books. People said were good, but they. Were, I really liked the silencer. It was fun. Uh, unexpected. I heard was really great. The I think was the Steve Orlando book. I did not read that one. I didn't either. But yeah, yeah. yeah but I I'm all for it. Don't keep things limping along. No. If it didn't work, get rid of it. Put it towards something that you hope will get in new readers. Right. I totally agree. And I respect both of these decisions from DC. Oh, here's a quote from DiDio, which is kind of like a, I like to think of it as a, uh, uh, as a left-handed jab at Marvel. If you're looking at the numbers, you're looking at 400 new periodicals a month. I can't even imagine the number of collections that come out every month. It's overwhelming. He said that there was an oversaturation of product. Marvel puts out, a billion D comics a month. Right. Including variants. And it's too much. DC was doing it too. Stop double shipping. Stop putting out books twice a month. Don't do it. Yeah, it's it's silly. There's no reason to do it. And all you're doing is punishing readers at that point. That's right. it. You're punishing the readers. You're forcing them to choose how this to isn't spend a time, their dollars. This isn't a time where comics were a buck ninety nine a piece. That was different. Right. We could buy a stack of shit. Now when they're four ninety nine a piece. That adds up really quick. And when you say, well, yeah, you have to choose between buying Batman or Spider-Man, now you're forcing them to choose whether they want to buy two Batman comics a month right. or 
one Batman comic and one Superman yeah. comic. I mean, back in the it's day, too much. If you had a twenty dollar a week habit, you had plenty of books. Yeah, man. that was almost ten books. Now, might be four or five. Round one, fight. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'll bet we missed a ton of other stories while bitching about Anthem Online. Wants to be Fortnite, but it's more Destiny. That's all it is. Well, I think it wants to be Destiny, but it's more something else. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section. Uh, it's not a battle royale. Fortnite is you're against each other. Yeah, no, there's a battle royale in Anthem as well. That's is part it? of the thing. Well, yeah. it's both then. Yeah. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune into Cover to Cover live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. It's like sports talk for nerds. You control the content, and this is your job, not mine. Insert hilarious joke here. All you have to do is say something funny, Joe I'm Patrick. not that funny. You say funny stuff all the time, Joe Patrick. Yeah, but not when I'm on the spot oh, like that. Give it me just kind of comes out We're of me. We're professional podcasters. That's pretty funny. God, you're terrible. <laughs> so call us at 402-819-4894 or click the Call Now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. It is spotlight review time in the ziggurat where Joe and I expose ourselves for the fake nerd boys and girls that we are. Joey, I'll let you expose your ignorance first. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> Makes it sound like a real fun time when you put it that way. Yeah, what can you do? My main review this week is of Astro Hustle, number one from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Jai Nitz, with art by Tom Riley. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Chen Andalu, the black sheep of a prominent activist family, returns after being accidentally put in cryostasis for 60 years. Whoops. Yep. Chen, a cosmic criminal, wakes up to find his younger brother is now the president of the galaxy. Whoops. Whoa. <laughs> Chen does what he knows best. He steals stuff and causes a problem. <laughs> That's a weird way to put that, but okay. Dream Thief's Jai Nitz is back at Dark Horse with this 70s-style swashbuckling futuristic space pirate romp. The story starts off at a remote observatory with its hedonistic crew partying when they should be working. Then Nitz throws a curveball at the reader as the book's villain makes its presence known. We jump ahead and meet our protagonist, Chen Andalu, waking up in a landfill full of dead bodies, surprised to discover that he's been, whoops, asleep for 60 years. Whoops. We don't get a ton of characterization for Chen other than the fact that he has a huge chip on his shoulder in regards to his family. But Nitz's script also moves at breakneck pace, throwing one crazy concept at you after another. But I never thought it was too much, and it gave me the sense that I was on this kind of crazy ride right along with Chen. Tom Riley's art is a fantastic meld between the cartooning skill of Doc Shainer and the fine line art of Jordi Bernay. I love artists who can tell a story without needing every single line to connect. Oh yeah. Definitely. His costume designs are a feverish mix of 70s Doctor Who, Barbarella, and Zardoz. Scantily clad scientists, dudes in weird metal thongs, killer robots, alien arbiters in old school British wigs, and NASCAR looking sponsor patches, buccaneer boots, huge feathered pith helmets, and puffy pirate shirts. It's all here. Ursula Decay, 
probably not her given name. Uh, her super saturated colors and the liberal use of hand-drawn sound effects add to the aesthetic. This if that is her, her name and she's not in a black metal band, I'm calling foul. <laughs> That's ridiculous. This book wasn't on my radar at all, but I love cheesy old-school sci-fi. Nitz and Riley deliver on that with a modern edge that I really enjoyed. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, you know what this reminded me of? Do you remember Ice Pirates? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking the totally. entire time. Just like wacky pirate, you know, space story. I was where... like, this is a Terry Gilliam movie that bossed totally. all over this comic book. Totally. And the main character is just constantly screwed. There's no way he's getting out of this one. Oh, yeah! You know, and it's just ridiculous. It was a ton of fun. It was a quick read, but it was really pretty to look at. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Uh, all right, something about exposing yourself, I guess. Uh, Matt, expose expose us to your bionic exposing myself parts. <laughs> you said exposing ourselves in the. I said exposing your ignorance. Oh, did you put, not hear that at all? Put that away then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this week I'm reviewing the Six Million Dollar Man from Dynamite Entertainment. It's written by Christopher Hastings with art by David Hahn and letters by Ariana Mar. Here is your solicit. Uh, I'm not reading all that. That's stupid. We know who just did it. But the two guys that I named earlier proudly present a story from a time when there wasn't internet. But there were cyborgs! <laughs> it is the 1970s. Things are going great. Steve Austin, used to be an astronaut, now has robot parts and a laser eye, heads to Japan to help secret agent Nico Abe stop a madman with missiles. Steve figures, no sweat. But then, sweat. How is Steve going to complete his mission when his fancy $6 million body starts drastically depreciating in value. Now, I did not read Christopher Hastings' Gwenpool book at Marvel, mainly because I hate the idea of the character. Not because she's a woman, so slow down there, trolls. But I was Nobody told, was accusing you of that. I'm just throwing it out so someone, <laughs> someone's not like, yeah, Matt Bomb, he's on my fucking side. No, I'm not. You're a shithead. But I was told by more than a few nerds with respectable opinions that Gwenpool was a witty and fun book. As it turns out, so is this Hastings read, and I think this is my first Hastings comic. Here, oh, I doubt that. I, really, I think it he, might be. He's been around for a while. He created Dr. McNinja. Yeah, see, I never read that. Yeah. And I know it was fun. I, Here, I'm sure that we've read stuff he's, he's done. Here he sets up Steve Austin as a brand new agent slash cyborg on his first mission, meeting a vastly more experienced Japanese agent who thought she was getting a full complement of American backup. Instead, she meets plucky and very green $6 million man who cannot stop bragging about his bionic parts when he's not trying to charm everyone he meets as a lost tourist, which was his cover story. Hastings' script is absolutely charming from beginning to end with real humor. I couldn't help but fall for Steve, who reminded me of a better-looking and smarter Inspector Gadget meets Chris Pine. David Hahn's art is wonderfully cartoonish in a classic Hanna-Barbera Johnny Quest style that's perfect for this story set in the early 70s. Paired with the very impressive lettering of Ariana Marr, who is switching from CIA communications to kanji to helicopter blade whoop, 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 whoop sounds that interrupt the dialogue. And the two give the book a real world spy thriller feeling with real soul. This creative team is obviously having fun with the book. And truthfully, I can't think of a better way to approach a cyborg that brags about having $6 million worth of parts, which is a dollar figure that won't even buy you a private jet today. But I am giving the $6 million man a buy it. 
you know, I don't really know anything about the six million dollar man. Everything I know about the character, uh, I learned from the Venture Brothers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the Fall Guy was the uh, Lee Majors. Yes, he was Lee uh, Majors. Show of choice in the Patrick household. But uh, I thought this was a ton of fun. Christopher Hastings is a very uh, witty writer, and I love David Hahn. Uh, yeah. I remembered where the last time I saw David Hahn, uh, Bite Club. Do you remember that Vertigo series? Oh, yeah. That was a fun book, I too. believe that was David Hahn. And I don't remember seeing him on hardly anything in years, and I'm so glad to see him back. This was a ton of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. I will say the old guys are going to say this is not Steve Austin. Oh, and come it's on. Definitely, it's definitely not Lee Majors. This is a different take, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, well, that's great. like the, the Dynamite Bond books. It's a different version of Bond. Right. So that is a double buy it for Astro Hustle number one and a double buy it for $6 million man number one. We are going to post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so you can critique our bionic brains, and they are not worth anywhere near $6 million, I'm afraid. So you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Speak for yourself, bucko. It's spring training time in the Ziggurat, and this baseball season, Matt and I are fielding a team of blue chip moloids that are sure Fire up, boys. Fire up. that go. that are sure to take out Damn those corn. subterranean sluggers Damn the lizard corn. people call a team. Throw it in there. Fire it in there. Fire All right, moloids, it's time for some base running drills while Woo. your coaching staff reviews eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Obey Me, number one from Dynamite. Adapted from the PC game of the same name, Obey Me seems to be the adventures of a murderous soul hunter woman and her talking psychotic dog that eats human flesh. Or something. Like most video game adaptations, you really need to like the source material to care at all, and the dialogue here certainly isn't helping. The art is inconsistent as well. Nice paneling, though. There just isn't much here to talk about. But again, I haven't played the game, so maybe the source material sucks. I'm giving it to leave it, though. Black Hammer, 45, number one from Dark Horse. Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox add yet another layer to the ever-growing Black Hammer-verse, this time with a Blackhawks homage crossed with the Tuskegee Airmen. Matt Kent is an artist that's kind of hard to pin down critically, but there was something about his work in this issue that I didn't love. Oh, I see, I'm on the complete opposite side of you. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I just thought it felt kind of sloppy in places, and Charlene Kent's heavy painted colors just kind of bogged it down a little bit. But, you know, it's a personal taste thing. He's obviously very talented, and I'm a fan. And overall, I still loved Black Hammer 45, number one. It gets a buy it. See, I think they were doing a flashback type thing. That might be. They may, they may have been trying to, like, ape a like Golden memory. Age kind of style. Yeah, and look like memory, you know. Domino, Hot Shots, number one from Marvel. Worst title ever for a team book, right? I get it. Domino is a team leader, but I don't know. Why not resurrect a wild pack or something? With that said, this was a great read by writer Gail Simone with amazing art by David Baldion. Six-pack. The six-pack. That was Domino's team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, bring back the six-pack. There's even six of them. Come on. No, that was Cable's team, not Domino's team. She but was she on. was in the six-pack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize all the characters on the team, but I love that Diamondback is here. 
There's actually a compelling reason for the ladies to team up, a compelling mystery they're chasing, and a really good last page, too. What more do you need in a super lady team up? I'm giving it a buy it. Green Arrow, number 50 from DC. Writers Colin Kelly and Jackson Lanzig took over this title, planning for a long run only for DC to suddenly cancel the book. But the duo is still sending Ollie off with a bang. The government is burning down Green Arrow's life following the events of Justice League Ain't No Justice No Mo, leaving Ollie to wonder who he can trust and if he was ever really a valued member of the league at all. Javier Fernandez's art is really fantastic, and the writers leave the character in a really interesting place. I know we've been down on the modern version of Green Arrow, but if issue 50 is any indication, I'm kind of excited to see what DCS planned for Oliver Queen next. I'm giving it a buy it. I did not know this was canceled. Yeah, last issue. Wow. Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys the Marvel history. Nope. Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history. Number one from Marvel. Who do you get to write a story with a title like this? Why, Paul Shear of the League and Black Monday fame, of course. Shear is joined by writer Nick Giovanetti and artist Gerardo Sandoval, who I'm guessing signed on the second they heard what Shear was planning. This is a ridiculous romp through Marvel history as the Cosmic Ghost Rider ignores time paradoxes and royally screws up all of Marvel history. And of course, hilarity ensues. Sandoval's art is amazing as usual and the humor is pointed right at any Marvel fanboy's funny bone. This was too much fun. I'm giving it a buy hit. Cemetery Beach, number seven from Image. It took me less than 30 minutes to read all seven issues of Warren Ellis and Jason Howard's insane near-future sci-fi explodorama. So seven issues, 30 minutes, that is approximately two minutes an issue. Uh, yep, the math Got checks it. out. Okay. A government agent travels to Earth's off-world colony only to find that a new corrupt government has taken power and cut all ties to the homeworld. Now Mike, which I guess is his name, scrambles to make it back to his escape vessel with the one person that can bring intel back to his superiors and help retake this violent shithole. This series has been light on dialogue, heavy on action, and it is crazy fun, full of Ellis' usual bizarre nonsense. I really loved it, but I also get review copies from Image. <laughs> if I was actually paying for this month to month, I'd be kind of annoyed at how slight it is. Your mileage may vary, of course, so I'm giving Cemetery Beach number 7 a strong skim it. I fell way behind on this. So did I, but the good news is it only took me 30 minutes to catch up. Fair enough. Ronan Island number 1 from Boom. Penciler Giannis Milano Giannis is channeling Lone Wolf and Cub and Blade of the Immortal here on this story of refugees from China, Korea, and Japan, all living on an island threatened by some kind of supernatural monstrous menace, and he's never looked better. Greg Pak writes a solid story of lovable misfits protecting their island from forces they can't possibly understand. Issue one was a lot of setup for the two main characters. They were kids that want to be the island's samurai protectors. But it looks like Ronin Island is building to a samurai versus monster siege that could be a lot of fun, giving it a buy it. Meet the Skrulls, number one from Marvel. It's Secret Invasion meets the Americans in this surprising new series from writer Robbie Thompson and phenomenal artist Pride of Baghdad's Nico Henrichon. I can't believe they got that dude to do this book. He's been doing all <laughs> kinds of weird stuff. A scroll sleeper cell hides in small town America following the last failed invasion, but life on Earth is all their rebellious young daughter knows. Meanwhile, a mysterious operative is ferreting out and murdering hidden aliens hiding in plain sight. 
This was a nice treat for something that I thought was just a throwaway cash grab riding on Captain Marvel's coattails. Meet the Skrulls number one gets a buy it. Womps attack! That is your ludicrous speed round, and womps attack is the sound of Carol Danvers slamming a car to the ground, causing its occupants to smash violently through the roof. So they're dead. They, she We're killed. We're getting dead. As seen in the pages <laughs> of the original Ms. Marvel number one from 1977, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Wooly Toots, who asks if spatak is the sound of their skulls fracturing or spinal columns snapping. A little bit of both. If you want to, sub- I mean, I guess we'll never know for sure. Yeah, a little bit of both. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can slam into the THN mobile with it or hit us up on any of our social media or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And our insurance isn't what it used to be. So if it is an accident, could we make sure that you are at fault? Or, it's, or that it's more like a fender bender. Yeah, well, even so, you're at fault. Okay, we just agree <laughs> on that. We admit nothing. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are taking the weather into our own hands. See? <laughs> it's March, goddammit, and the temperatures are still in the sub-20s. Really? So we've kidnapped the weather wizard, and Joe is uh, going to work on the poor bastard until we get some real spring weather. Joe? Is that looking so good at the moment? Why don't we take a little break, let him catch his breath, then we can talk about our must-read picks. For next Wednesday, March 13th. You're not so tough now, are you? My pick for next week is Assassination Number One from Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, with art by Erica Henderson. You get it? Assassination. I do, yeah. <laughs> it's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Remember the Assassination Nation plot? I do. <laughs> the world's former greatest hitman hires the 20 best assassins in the world to be his bodyguards. These mean as hell hired guns and murderers must work together to keep the new crime boss safe while attempting to solve the mystery of who's trying to off him. This sounds fun and everything, but what really caught my eye is that it's written by Kyle Starks, who yeah. created Sex Castle, yeah. and drawn by Erica Henderson, who's primarily known for drawing Squirrel Girl. <laughs> Whatever. Kind of a weird creative team for a book like this, but I'm totally into it. Mm. Matt, what's your pick? Oh, wait. Sorry, I missed yep, some. There's, there's more. Sorry, page turn. With the same laugh-until-you-cry spirit of action comedies like Hot Fuzz, Tropic Thunder, and Deadpool, Assassination Nation is, a, is the bombastic side-splitting murder fest you've been waiting for. You said Assassination Nation. I know I did. <laughs> How did Spider-Man get that one so wrong? Why didn't they just call it the Assassin Nation? It plot? was. It was co- just called the Assassin no, Nation. I think it was plot. the Assassination Nation. No, no. Yeah. It was called the Assassin Nation plot. I'm, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, okay. You look that up while I tell them about my pick. Okay. My pick for next week is The Life and Death of Toyo Harada, number one of six. It is not from Titan, it is from Valiant. And it's written by Joshua Dysart with art by Kafu. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. I do work! Well, I guess it's not in all caps. Eisner Award-winning writer Joshua Dysart returns to the Valiant Universe to continue crafting Toyo Harada's controversial mission to save humanity from itself. Presented in an oversized format and featuring a lineup of all-star artists, including Miko Suyuan and Kafu and more, 
The life and death of Toyo Harada will place the planet's most powerful man in the spotlight as he strives to control the course of history. But with the menacing mastermind's resources dwindling after the downfall of the Harbinger Foundation and a target on his head, will the formidable Sayat reemerge as humanity's greatest hero or its most dangerous villain? It's the Hardbringer Foundation. He is basically Valiant's Doctor Doom if Doctor Doom had crazy psychic powers. Like, what if Chuck Xavier was Doctor Doom and you've got Toyo Harada? Okay. He's a great character. I love Hardbringer. I love the Hardbringer universe. Joshua Dysart has been gone for a little while. I'm happy to have him back. This looks amazing. And he's like the main Hardbringer guy, Joshua yeah. Dysart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the uh, head Hardbringer. The THN trade of the week goes to Polar Volume Zero, The Black Kaiser. It's a hardcover from Dark Horse Comics written and illustrated by Victor Santos. It's 166 pages for $17.99. Here to solicit. A Cold War espionage agent with ice in his veins comes to the United States aiming to take out a political target, but the mission is never what it seems. The Black Kaiser, a name whispered in dark corners amongst power czars across the globe, a cold knife in the dark, a secret agent, delve into the origin of the most feared assassin and his current, as his current mission lands him on American soil and in direct conflict with the nefarious agency known as the Damocles Initiative. Damn. I know. Oh, please. New York Times... <laughs> <laughs> what I did there? Yeah, I did. New York Times bestseller Victor Santos takes you back to the beginning with the origin of his iconic Black Kaiser, a violent, fast-paced thriller. Uh, I really like Victor Santos. What did he win? What did he get New York Times bestseller status for? I don't even know. Polar? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they made a movie of it. That's why I picked it. There's a Netflix adaptation yeah. called Polar. Uh, starring Mads Mikkelsen as the Black Kaiser. Yeah. It looks amazing. I haven't watched it yet. I don't think it's out yet, is it's it? It's out, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to watch, watch that. You can watch it now. I got to watch that. But yeah, I love this. I love Victor Santos. Absolutely pick this up. To answer an earlier question, I have confirmed via Amazon.com. We were both wrong. It was the Assassin Assassination. It is called the Assassination <laughs> Plot, and it is available now okay. in hardcover format for a cheap Twenty three eighty four plus shipping. I believe Solo was one of the stars of that story. Solo was definitely all up in there. Teleporting guy with an Uzi. That's, yeah. that's all you needed back then. You needed <laughs> an Uzi and a teleporter, and you could whip some ass. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so there you have our picks for Wednesday, March 13th. We want to know what you nerds are reading, too. So after you are done teleporting, shooting, and just generally whipping ass, hit us up. Let us know what you're reading and add those damn titles to your poll file. After okay? you're done beating up dudes in white masks and berets. Yeah, man. Yeah, they did have berets. Ultimatum. Huh, didn't they? Yeah. I love them. The comic pushes are back. Moving. So- wait, wait, wait. Wait, I got it. I got okay. it. You oh, ready? Oh, uh oh. My name is Joe, and I'm nope, here to no, say we're not, I love comic pushes no, in a major no. way. We're not doing the Fruity Pebbles right now. The comic pushes are back, baby, <laughs> moving some crazy addictive comic product, and one lucky junkie is about to score. This week, a cat pee smelling cigarette butt smoking skeever named New Guy from the THN forums asks. So, uh, I've been in the comics and uh, listening to you nerds for about a year now. It's been awesome seeing so many new worlds uh, open up for me, but I'm light years behind most of you, and I still need to catch up. As, 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 as I've mentioned before, I'm all about Cap. I haven't read enough to call myself an expert, but Brubaker is my favorite Cap writer so far, and Coates is doing great. 
multiple of hot takes. I know. I need to get into other characters, though. Uh, but I'm paralyzed by all the options. How many goddamn spider people are there? I've I've seen. Whoa, whoa, easy, easy. Nerd. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I've seen the listicles, but I trust you nerds more with this kind of shiz, homies. Help a brother out and give me your favorite character writer pairing from the past and the present. Ooh, good one. I will do Marvel if you will do DC. Okay. Sound cool? Yeah, sure. Okay. So. You already you, mentioned Brubaker and he, Captain America. You already mentioned Brubaker, and because he did that, I'm going to say a logical extension to why we got Brubaker's wonderful cap run would be Brian Michael Bendis's Daredevil run that happened at Marvel. It, from start to finish, was absolutely wonderful, and it ran Daredevil through the ringer that that character should be run through. Brian Michael Bendis loved punishing Matt Murdock. And was it Mayleave that was along for the ride? Alex Mayleave, yeah. Alex Mayleave. I think that's where we first like really met the guy. He did some No Man's Land stuff for Batman yeah. in the, in oh, the no, that's true. late 90s, that's early true. 2000s. But like, I think he really came into his style. Yeah, he became, oh, Alex Mayleave, he's a yeah. very popular Heavy comic hitter. artist. And yeah. really came into his style. And it was a style that we had not ever seen in Daredevil before. It was very photorealistic, very ink heavy, very dark and scratchy, and it works so well. I highly recommend Brian Michael Bendis' Daredevil. You can get the entire run in trade paperback. Are they still in print? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding so. me? Marvel's trying to make as much money off BMB as they can at this point. Yeah, that's true. They, that's they're, true. They're dying <laughs> for their Bendis money. You right. want to go modern? I'm going to say Jason Aaron's Thor. Ah, yeah, great. Jason Aaron has now written the longest run of Thor in the history of the character, and I would argue it is also the best run of Thor in the history of the character. And I say that loving Walt Simonson's Thor. More than anything, I love that run. But you cannot deny Jason Aaron, what he has done with the character is absolutely incredible. Like, literally reinvented Thor, made it a sales powerhouse, has pissed people off at times so bad that they had to read the book just to stay mad at it. <laughs> it is absolutely wonderful, and you should be reading it. Joe Patrick. I agree with both of those. Take us to the world of DC. All right. On the DC side of things, I guess I will start with uh, Mark Wade's Flash. Yeah. Uh, which, oh, yeah. Which is in the process of being released in, in trade form. Uh, I believe there are several volumes in at this point. I don't think they're done with it yet. But, yeah, Mark Wade had a very long, eight-year-long run on The Flash, uh, specifically Wally West, who was my favorite version of the character. Yes. And you don't really need to know a lot going in. Uh, the very first, His very first storyline is, is Flash Year One. It tells you everything you need to know about the character and sets up that world. Uh, basically, he is a sidekick made good. Right. Uh, he is. He was originally Kid Flash. He was the sidekick of Barry Allen, the Silver Age Flash. He died. Barry died uh, in the first crisis, and Wally stepped into the red costume and became the new Flash. And everybody so, was pissed. All the fans were pissed. Nobody was pissed. Oh, they hated it at first. I don't. There was no internet. We don't know that. Yeah, we knew that. We don't we know that. We had comic shop news, remember? <laughs> and Wizard. And it was like, Boo. Wizard didn't come out until years later. All the old dudes were pissed. This happened in the mid-80s. People had plenty of time to get used to Wally. Now, you want to know why we're pissed that Barry is back? Because Mark Wade made us love Wally. Yeah, Mark Wade made Wally the Flash. Yes. He, like, there was no, like, oh, he's the, he's the Flash's sidekick. No, it's like, Wally is the Flash. Yeah, and he was great. And it was, it's just a phenomenal 
phenomenal run, and it's it's got a ton of artistic talent behind it. Um, uh, Greg LaRock was the original artist, but then uh, a young Ringo was there? fresh-faced Micro Wingo yeah. got his start on The Flash, and he went on to do great things. Carlos Pacheco oh, yeah, did, that's some, right. did some issues. That's where like he got his start, right? I, it was the first time I ever saw That would have been art. some of the first Pacheco work, yeah. I believe. So, yeah, it was just a great, great run. Uh, oh, there's also a year-long arc by Morrison yeah, and uh, Morrison, Mark Miller in there. Graham Morrison came in. And then that immediately springboards into Jeff Johns' run, which hit, which was his, I don't know, it wasn't his first DC work, but it was probably his first highest-profile assignment. I'll bet that was he his first ongoing. He co-wrote JSA for a while, and I, it, they may have come out kind of similar in, in, in time frame. I think his Flash came out first. That could be. Yeah. That could be. Because I want to say that The Flash was Jeff Johns' first solo ongoing monthly at DC. I'm pretty sure it was. Well, unfortunately, there's no way to know for sure. No. But... And so when we don't you, fact check on this show. I know, I get it. I'm not saying it. Again. I get it. <laughs> so when all is said and done, you've got like a decade plus of amazing, wonderful yes. flash stories featuring Wally West, and it's not just Wally West. He's got a wonderful supporting cast. Yeah, the Rogues Gallery. That, that was back when they used to like build a whole family around characters, right? And they just don't do that crap anymore. They don't, right? And it was all about like the legacy of being the Flash mm-hmm. and what it meant to to uh, to take on that role and step into the next generation and then train the next generation after you because he had his own kind of sidekick with Impulse later the New Kid Flash, and it's just a wonderful stretch of comic books. A modern pick, see. I hesitate to recommend stuff like Scott Snyder's Batman or Tom King's Batman because those things did have their story arcs that definitely rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, sure. I would still argue that as a whole, Tom King's Batman run has been great. I very much enjoyed it. And I know there's like whole issues that were a poem or whatever with a bunch of pictures. The penguin fucks a real penguin. Well, we don't know that for sure. Yeah. I like to think that he did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, well, then I will say that, though it's early on, I think Brian Michael Bendis' Superman, both Superman and Action Comics, oh, yeah. have been fantastic. Uh, yes, like, knocked it out of the park. Wonderful. I And it, I've really enjoyed them. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's the start of a really great long run, and yeah. I hope that it sustains. Absolutely. Uh, I would say uh, Robert Vendetti's Hawkman oh, is another one. Again, only you, eight issues in, but, but still. you need to be reading them. Yeah, absolutely. They have stripped Hawkman down to what makes him great. They're solving all the dumb mysteries of his crazy, stupid past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and explaining it really well. The art is stunning. Some of the best work that I've seen from Brian Hitch. Some of, Literally, some of Brian Hitch's best work. And it's just because Brian Hitch settled down. He just settled down. He's not trying to do too much like he used to, where every panel was this huge, sprawling panel with, like, a deep... No, he's focused. He's doing it right. He's getting stuff done on time, which couldn't say about that guy for a long that time. That book has come out on time for nine months straight. Yeah, it's wonderful. Hawkman. I, met, I watched a clip online yesterday of Brian Hitch uh, meeting Samuel L. Jackson for the first time. Brian Hitch is the one that basically invented the idea of Nick Fury being yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. It was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our picks for kind of classic and modern runs at the big two. Single writer kind of auteur kind of stuff. Right. We hope you really like them. We hope you check in with us. And if you need a fix, you know who to come to. It's the comic pushes, baby. That's right. But we want to hear from you, new guy. So let us know. Read all of these. One of these. 
tell us we're wrong. We All of them. From you. We demand it. Yes. Excelsior. Oh. <laughs> That is it for THN 521 and 522 may be canceled due to lack of interest. But just in case, Man. Joe Patrick, we've actually got a new question of the week. Yeah, we do. <laughs> this week's question comes from Phil Lee via the THN forums. What up, nerds? It's a new year, time for new beginnings and failed resolutions. Keeping in the spirit, I ask, what is your favorite comic book new beginning? Do you wish Marvel's Heroes Reborn or... You want Marvel now, right now? Do you prefer Burns, Man of Steel to Bendis's or Snyder's? Did Dreadstar start to suck when it went from epic to first comics? You just watch your mouth, sir. <laughs> Whether it was a continuity shift, a transfer of publisher, or an introduction in a different medium, tell us your favorite fresh start. You best take Dreadstar out your mouth. I love it. If you're new to this show and you're wondering why anyone would admit to listening to this crap, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough of this crap. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many damn episodes, we're talking like 800 almost? It's not 900, you're right. Yeah, it's closer to that. It ain't cheap. We want to thank donors like... Thanks, Anthony D. (laughs) Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to 90210 and Riverdale star Luke Perry. Perry was hospitalized this past week after suffering a massive stroke and then passed away just two days later. 52 was way too young to go, and you will be dearly missed as Archie's dad on Riverdale. How are we going to write this? What are they going to do? I don't know. It's a brutal bummer, though. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Normally, I would make a joke here, but until next time, true believers... Go to your doctor. Get checked out. Make sure you're okay. You know, check your prostate. Check your blood pressure. Check everything. If Luke Perry can go, it could happen to us too. And I don't want to lose anybody else. All right? For now, it's a two-headed nerd worrying about you and signing off.